Good morning. Really good to be with you today. Thank you for, for being here. And we're continuing our series in 1 Timothy this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, could you please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're starting midway through verse 2, going to verse 10. And while you're finding that, let me just uh, just pray for you, just pray for us all this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are with us today in this place and in all of the places where we're meeting. We pray as the word of God is preached today that I will preach with, with faith and strength and that people will hear the word of God and receive what is said. May you challenge us. May you encourage us. May you help us to live our lives for your glory. Amen. So as I say, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 6 today. We're coming towards the end of our series in 1 Timothy. I just want to read the passage to you as we begin. 1 Timothy 6, 2. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching of the cause with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are deprived in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagine that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is of great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we should be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So straight away as we come into this passage today, we have Paul and he's urging Timothy, he's urging him to teach these things and to avoid all who are teaching and all who are teaching things that are not in accord with the sound teaching of Jesus Christ and that do not accord with godliness. I think there's two things we need to ask ourselves here. The first thing is, what is Timothy being urged to teach? And what is the teaching that accords with godliness? So let's just have to that just to answer that second question first. Because I think it will help us if we answer the second question well. It will help us then to answer the first question well. So let's answer that second question first. So to find out what Paul means when he talks about the teaching that accords with godliness, first we need to go back a little bit into 1 Timothy 3, 15-16. And there Paul says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. So here Paul explains to Timothy what the mystery of godliness is. And it's all about Jesus. 
More specifically, godly teaching is that Jesus came in the flesh. He was proclaimed to all the people in the world. And he was and this has been confirmed, confirmed through the angelic witness, confirmed through the witness of all of those people who have come to believe on him in the world. And this is godly teaching. And why is this important? Well, the massive reason why this is important. This is important because in Ephesus, we had teachings of people called Gnostics. Dave's mentioned this a lot in his messages, so I'm not going to go on too much about it. But there was an idea of Gnosticism, which basically, very simply, denied that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh. It denied the fact that the flesh was good. Flesh was seen as evil, the body was seen as evil, and the spirit was seen as good. But the fact that Jesus comes in the flesh is in direct contradiction. And this is one of the central doctrines of the Christian faith. And there are others as well that must be taught. But these people were teaching what was opposed to that. And so the first question we asked, what is Timothy supposed to teach? Well, that's what he's teaching. He's supposed to teach what is in accord with godliness. The doctrine of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh and all the other things that are linked with that. And Paul says that these people don't know anything about godly living he says that they have an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. They're deprived in mind, deprived of the truth, imagining godliness as a means of gain. See, the person that Paul is talking about here loves controversy. They love a good argument. They revel in it. Now, I like quite a good argument. Some of you know that I love a debate. I love a debate about theology. I love a debate about politics. I love a debate about all kinds of issues. And that's okay. Healthy debate is good. Healthy disagreement is good. And I think sometimes some Christians, and maybe even some Christian leaders, are scared of any kind of debate in case they bring disunity to the church. We shouldn't be scared of good, healthy debate about various topics good healthy debate is helpful as long as it's done in relationship with one another with an attitude of love and grace towards one another then healthy debate is good and can help us to learn but these people they weren't interested just in healthy debate about secondary issues they weren't interested just debating what happens when Jesus comes back. What's the timing of the rapture or the timing of the tribulation or whether these events take place or whether women can be church leaders or not or whether you know, God created the world literally in six days or in some other way. These are the healthy debates we have in the church on different opinions that are secondary. These people weren't interested just in that and they weren't interested in loving one another in our disagreements. These false teachers were reveling, they were happy, joyful in dividing the church, in teaching doctrine that was opposed to the very central teaching of the faith. All of these secondary things we can debate with love and mercy and grace, but they were not interested in that. They wanted to make sure that they gained followers for themselves, that they made a name for themselves. 
and they were quite happy for people to fall out if it meant that that happened. And the true message of the faith, of course, the central message of the faith, which these false teachers denied, is this. The second person of the Trinity became a human called Jesus. He was born of a virgin and is and was, was and is, fully God and fully man. He lived a sinner's life. He died in our place as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. He rose again after three days, ascended to heaven and is now seated at the right hand of God, reigning in glory and will return to judge the living and the dead. This is the right central doctrine of the faith. And these teachers wanted to teach what was opposed, especially to Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. You see, our disagreements about other issues around that should be um, should be taken in love, operated in in love for one another, engaged in in love for one another. But these teachers who were opposing that truth, they weren't loving. But even our love, our love for one another in which we engage in those topics, our love for one another is the same love that draws us to oppose real, genuine false teachers. Because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, because we love the truth, because we love Jesus, we must oppose false teaching. To paraphrase Mark Driscoll, he says this, I'm paraphrasing, if pastors are to care for the sheep, they have to shoot the wolves. Loving our brothers and sisters includes standing for the truth and against the lies that will harm them. So what was this false teaching? What was it that was being taught? I've already mentioned Gnosticism, that was part of it. I actually did an interesting study, not purely for this sermon, but just as I was looking over 1 Timothy, um, about what the false teaching in Ephesus included, and there's many elements to it. There's Gnosticism and there's bits of Jewish myth and there's lots of sort of what you might call a feminist theology of um, that attracted women from the Temple of Artemis in, in Ephesus. But one of the things that Paul talks about here is that they of imagining that godliness is a means of gain. These false teachers were teaching that Jesus is a means of gain. In many ways, gain to their lives, but I suppose especially financial gain. They thought that to follow Jesus brings us financial gain. Now, does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to you? Have you seen this happening? Today, our churches are infected, especially in the US, especially in Africa, but all over the world, we have been infected by a false teaching called the prosperity gospel. This teaching is false. And it basically teaches this. But if you have faith in Jesus, if you have enough faith, and if you sow the right kind of financial seed, it'll lead to your wealth, to your physical healing. If you just follow the right formula, 
God will heal you. God will provide for your finances. Furthermore, if you're sick or poor, it's your own fault because you lack faith. And this is infecting our churches today. It's all over the place. And it's on Christian TV, on the God Channel, TBN. It's perpetrated by people like Joel Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, Paula White, who's President Trump's spiritual advisor, and many others who are infecting the church with this horrible, disgusting, evil heresy. And it is. And I'm going to be harsh in my words about this because it is, it is of the pit of hell. And the people who preach it are false teachers and charlatans. And if you listen to them, please stop. If you believe it, stop believing it. Study the Bible. This teaching is wrong. It is from the pit of hell. And it is not godly. And here are three major problems with this prosperity gospel teaching. First of all, it minimises suffering. Following Jesus in this prosperity scheme becomes only about blessing. But Jesus promises those who follow him that they will suffer for him. Suffering for the name of Jesus is a reality for every single one of us who follow him. Because we live in a fallen world that hates him. We live in a struggle with the sin that's still in our hearts, even though we've been redeemed, declared righteous, made saints. We still have sin in our hearts. And we have an enemy, the devil, who hates us. And God allows our suffering. And often our suffering is the means in which we are brought closer to him. John Piper says this, I've never heard of anyone who says the really deep lessons of life have come, have come in times of ease and comfort. But I've heard many saints say, every significant advance I've ever made in the grasping of the depth of God's love and growing deep with him have come through suffering. And you know what, in our lives recently, we have faced a lot of suffering. We face financial pressure, financial difficulty. We've had health issues. All three of us have had health issues, particularly myself and Bex. I'm talking to you now with a banging headache after banging my head and going to A&E a few days ago. We've had all kinds of issues going on in our lives financially, physically, emotionally, stress, work pressures. It's been hard. And I don't tell you this because I want your sympathy. I don't tell you this because I particularly want help. I tell you this to just say that we will suffer. And if you want to follow Jesus and you don't want to suffer, you don't want to follow Jesus. Suffering is a reality of following Christ. Jesus said, those who follow me should pick up their cross and follow me. But another reason this prosperity gospel is awful and evil is it puts burdens on the shoulders of the suffering. The prosperity gospel blames those who are sick. It blames those who are poor. Instead of bearing the burdens of the poor and the sick and the needy, it puts blame on them for the problems that they face. It tells them that they must work to be free. 
instead of trusting Jesus, who is the answer to them for their freedom. But also, maybe worst of all, because it blasphemes Jesus, it treats Jesus as the giver, not the gift. Instead of offering people Jesus as the greatest treasure of all, it makes him into the giver of our worldly treasures. He becomes a side character in our fairy tale rather than the hero of the story who we fall in love with. But here's the big problem. Here's the really big problem of the prosperity gospel that each of us have when it comes to the prosperity gospel. We all love it. We all love this teaching. If you don't believe me, I just want you to look at the room you're in. I want you to look at your possessions. I want you to look at your bank account. I want you to look at the things you have. And then just think if all of these things were taken away, would you be content? Would you have joy in just having Jesus? What do we spend our money on? What do we take our time doing? How much stuff do we have in our cupboards and our sheds that we never use? You might say that's not prosperity gospel. But it's an aspect of it in our lives, isn't it? What about when you're in blessing? When you're blessed, do you ever sit and ask God, why have you blessed me? Maybe some of you do. I don't very often. Yet when I'm suffering... I constantly sit and ask God, why am I suffering? Why is it so hard? Because we expect to be blessed. We expect to be given good things. This is where we in our hearts believe this message. But then Paul says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these, with these we will be content. See, we often see these people that are taken in by prosperity gospel teaching as victims. And that's not untrue. There's an aspect of, of them being victims. But actually, Paul says the real issue with our lives, not just with money and prosperity, but with our lives, is that we're not content with what we have. In our hearts, we always want more stuff, more money, more possessions, whatever. And yet the greatest form of gain in this life, says Paul, is not to seek after things, but to live a life of godliness, which he has already emphasised, and to be content with what we have. He says we brought nothing into the world. We'll take nothing out with us. You can't take it with you when you're gone. When you go. When you pass on. When you go to heaven. When you go to be with Jesus or whatever. When you die. You can't take it with you. So be content with what you have. Be content with where you are. Now let me be clear. okay? I want to be clear for a minute. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's wrong as Christians to have possessions. I'm not saying it's wrong to own things. I'm not saying it's wrong to enjoy the blessings and the things God's given you. He does give us blessings. 
And I definitely believe that God provides. I mean, I was talking before about our suffering, our difficulty, particularly financially. We have trouble with the car. And we've seen God provide so often through freedom, through the money that's been given to freedom, for, for giving out to people in need. We've received loads of that. And I'm thankful to everybody that's given to that. And family, friends, um, we've, we've seen God provide again and again and again to provide for our needs. We've seen God heal us multiple times. So it's not wrong to believe that God provides and to believe that, you know, as Christians, we don't just suffer. We do have a God who blesses us, but we must be content with what we have. We need to stop seeking after the things that don't matter and start seeking after the things that do. Let me be abundantly clear what I'm saying here. Okay, if you're a Christian particularly, I want you to hear this today. Christian, it isn't wrong for you to own things. But it is wrong for your things to own you. Are you content? Are you content with what you have? Are you content with where you are. If you're discontent, ask God. If you're discontent, maybe he has something to show you, to move you forward. And then Paul says, those who desire to be rich fall into a snare, into senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Many in the world around us desire to be rich. He calls this desire a snare. Snares are used to trap and kill animals. The desire for riches will trap us, will kill our faith, it plunges us, in, plunges us into spiritual ruin and destruction, desiring more and more things. They're hard words, but we need to hear them. Don't get weighed down and burdened. And the ultimate issue is this. We are weighed down and burdened by the things of this world. And when we're looking at our, our money and our possessions and wanting more and more, we really show that our hearts are for the things we have, not for the God who loves us. Jesus said this. Again I tell you it's easier. For a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And there wasn't a gate in Jerusalem. Where you could take the. The luggage off the donkey. And it could shimmy through. That's what people say of the camel. That's what people say. That's not what Jesus is saying here. That's softening the blow. Jesus is saying that if you're rich. It's harder for you. To come into the kingdom because you have more to lose. You have more to give. You have more to, to sacrifice. Look, I'm getting that you feel rich. This is not about whether you're rich, whether you're poor. This is about the fact that we must be content with what God gives us. And find our ultimate contentment and joy in our relationship with him. Unlike these false teachers who wanted riches. They wanted a name for themselves. They wanted financial gain they wanted to be recognized 
and we must be content that God is all we need in this life. And everything else we have, we thank him for. But it all comes below Jesus Christ himself, the Lord of all. As I come to a close, I just want to share a story with you that I once heard. I couldn't find it anywhere online recently, so I'm doing it for memory. I don't know if you know uh, the programme Dragon's Den, and one of the dragons is called Duncan Bannatyne, Scottish guy. He owns lots of gyms and health clubs. Duncan Bannatyne's a rich guy, and, and there's this story that he was he was somewhere overseas, maybe at one of his villas somewhere. He went and sat at the beach one day, and he overwhelmingly felt the presence of God come over him. And he felt God speak to him and ask him to follow him, to come to him. And Duncan Bannatyne was overwhelmed, he was in tears, and he knew that God was speaking to him. And he knew which God this was. He knew it, well, there's only one God, but you know what I mean. He knew it was Jesus. He knew he was calling him to follow him. And he said no. He said no at that time to God because he didn't, wasn't ready to give up his riches and his lifestyle. There's a man in the Bible, isn't there, who did the same thing. A rich young man, he comes to Jesus and says... What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, first set tells him to keep the commandments. And then the man says, I've done all this. And Jesus says, sell what you have, give your money to the poor, then come and follow me. And the man went away sad because he loved what he had more than he wanted to follow Jesus. So as we come to a close, I just want to encourage you don't find your contentment in the things you have. How do you make contentment in things? I think firstly, you find your contentment in Jesus. Fall in love with him again. Spend time with him. Maybe it's time to look at how you can give some things away. I don't think God wants us to give everything away for the sake of it. Or for religious purposes. Maybe it's time to look at what you can give. What you can get rid of. You need to bring this to before God yourself. And ask him God. What am I content in that isn't you? How do I find my contentment again in Jesus? Let me pray. Lord Jesus thank you for your love. Your grace your mercy towards us. Thank you that you are here in this place today. I pray today that your spirit will guide and bless us. And that you will teach us how to be content in what we in, in you, not in what we have. Thank you that all the blessings you give us are amazing and wonderful. That you do bless us with so many nice, good things. And we thank you, Lord, that when we suffer, you pull us through and make us more like you. Amen.